I want to get started on time because I, I don't know how long this is going to take, but uh, it might take all 45 minutes or uh, a little less. So today we're going to continue with our lessons in sovereignty. This will be our third one. Um, we'll have one more next week um, with some final thoughts. Uh, as last week, if you got your Bible and you want to follow along, it's, it's probably a waste of time because we're going to be uh, looking at a lot of different scriptures. Now, the question that we've been trying to answer over the last uh, three weeks is which of the views of God's sovereignty is correct? There are two views with regards to the sovereignty of God. Of course, the sovereignty of God is this idea that God controls. He has power, He has the might, He has the authority to control human affairs, that He's got a plan and a purpose that He's bringing about. But how does He do that? Does He do it in a meticulous way? As Ephesians 1.11 says, he works all things according to the counsel of his will. Does it literally mean all things? Um, or is it more general, that God has got a, a, a general plan, but he's really not married to the details? He could control all things, but he only chooses to control some things. And, and the two things that most people believe that God does not have anything to do with is he will not have anything to do with your free will. He chooses to stand back and let you practice free will. He will not do anything with that. And, and we, general sovereignty also tends to believe that God does not involve himself with sin and evil. Okay? And that makes really good sense. In fact, to the human mind, that's very reasonable, right? That God kind of is disconnected and, and it, this general sovereignty view feels like, okay, he doesn't have anything to do with our free will. He doesn't have anything to do with sin and evil. God just responds to our choices. Now, the problem with that, as we saw last week, is that just does not line up with Scripture. In fact, I gave you numerous examples last week, if you'll remember. And if you weren't here, you can go back and, and listen to the podcast. But Cyrus, Abimelech, Ahab, Pharaoh, uh, David in the census, Nebuchadnezzar, the crucifixion, all of those were events predetermined by God, and all of those involved sin and evil. Okay? So, let me give you an example. And I'll just bring one of those from last week. This is the example of the Assyrians, Isaiah 10, 5 through 7. Woe to the Assyrian, the rod of my anger, in whose hand is the club of my wrath. I send him against a godless nation. I dispatch him against a people who anger me. Well, to do what? What does God send them to do? What does He dispatch them to do? To seize loot, snatch plunder, and to trample them down like mud in the streets. Now, we also saw this: the Assyrian who's doing this, they have no clue that, that they're the rod of God's anger. This is not what he intends, Isaiah says. This is not what he has in mind. His purpose is to destroy. In other words, this Assyrian king, this Assyrian army, this Assyrian nation are doing exactly what they want to do. They're, they're, but they're doing exactly what God wants them to do. But they are responsible. They are guilty. Isaiah 10, 12-13, When the Lord has finished all His work against Mount Zion, He will say, I will punish the king of Assyria. And look what for? The willful pride. Willful pride. He was doing exactly what He wanted to do of His own free will. But at the same time, he was doing exactly what God had predetermined he would do. Now, in all of those passages that we saw last week, 
we see two truths very clearly taught in Scripture. Number one is the sovereignty of God. God is 100% control of everything. He's bringing about His purposes in this world. At the same time, we see balance with that responsibility of man. Men and women are 100% free to do whatever they want to do, and they are 100% responsible for their choices. Voluntary, sinful choices and actions of men and women are predetermined by God. Let me say that again. Voluntary, sinful choices and actions of men and women are predetermined by God. Now that almost seems contradictory, doesn't it? Yes? It almost seems like a paradox. But yet, it's taught over and over and over and over again in Scripture. Listen, I didn't even give you all of them last week. I had to leave some out just to get it in 45 minutes. Let me give you a couple more. We just came out of the book of Genesis study, right? How about this one? Scripture clearly tells us that Joseph's brothers committed evil, sinful acts. They were jealous of him. This is all in Genesis 37. They were jealous of him. They hated him. They wanted to kill him. They threw him into pit, and they sold him into slavery. You remember that story when we went through it, right? Yet later, Joseph said to his brothers, God sent me before you to preserve life. Or or even better, listen to this one. You meant evil against me, but God, what? Meant it. See, that's not God responding. That's not God reacting. That's God acting with purpose. Does everybody see that? That's purpose. That's predetermination. It may seem like a paradox. It may seem contradictory, but it's taught over and over. Um, we Here in that story, we have a combination of evil deeds brought about by sinful men making free will choices at the same time You've got the overriding sovereign control of God whereby His purposes are accomplished. Both are being taught. Let me give you another one. How about the story of Jonah? We all, vacation Bible school, we all were taught the story of Jonah and the whale. There's a, in that story, uh, Jonah's trying to get away from God. He's on a ship and there's a, there's a big storm, right? And the sailors, they're real superstitious and they figure somebody on this ship has done something wrong. And so they cast lots and the lot falls on Jonah. And it says this, Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, and they hurled him in the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. So here's these men. They pick Jonah up. They throw him off the boat. And they even ask God for forgiveness, right? Look what they said. Don't don't lay innocent blood at our feet. Yet later, Jonah says this in Jonah 2, 3. He says, You, God threw me off the boat. You did it. You hurled me into the deep. You threw me into the sea. See, once again, Scripture confirms men threw him off, but God did it. God was completely in in control. He's not forcing those sailors to do anything against their will. They're not conscious of any influence on them. They're doing exactly what they want to do, but yet God is in complete control. Now, a lot of those stories come out of the Old Testament. Unless you sit here and say, well, that might have been the way God did it in the Old Testament, but that's not the way He did it in the New Testament. Let me give you a few scriptures. A couple of these we've already seen. This is Acts 2.23. Him, talking about Jesus, being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, that's the sovereignty of God, you have taken by lawless or sinful hands, crucified and put to death. That's the responsibility of man. You see the both? You see how they both balance out? 
2 Thessalonians 2, 10 through 12. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and be saved. That's the responsibility of man. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so they believe the lie and they will all be condemned who have not believed the truth. That's the sovereignty of God. They won't believe. God sends a delusion to send the lie to, for, so they'll believe a lie. Both of them, right side by side. Responsibility of man, sovereignty of God. How about this one? 1 Peter 2.8 They stumble because they disobey the message. That's the responsibility of man, which is also what they were, what? Destined for. That's the sovereignty of God. Side by side. How about this one? Luke 22, 22. We all know the story of Judas. Betrayed Jesus. These are the words of Jesus. Truly the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. That's the sovereignty of God. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. That's the responsibility of man. See, Judas betrayed Jesus. He's doing exactly what God had predetermined to be done. And Jesus says, woe to him. He's going to pay for that because he's responsible for his choice. How about Philippians 2, 12 through 13? By the way, we see this every day after you're saved. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's the responsibility of man. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. That's the sovereignty of God. I'm just throwing a few of these out. It's all over the Bible. Both balanced side by side. Both taught. And you may say, well, that, it sounds contradictory. It's, I, don't, I don't disagree with you. That's why it's so hard to grasp a hold of. But it's not about what, what I think up here. It's about what that Bible says. And it's taught so many times. So I have no doubt in my mind, I believe with all my heart. And fi- by the way, I said 10 years ago, I believed in general sovereignty. And in fact, most of you here probably believed in general sovereignty before we started. Most of the Christian church believes in general sovereignty, but it's just not scriptural. God is in control of all the details. I believe in meticulous sovereignty. I believe that God has a plan. He's controlling all the details of that plan. Our choices are free. We are responsible for those choices, yet our choices are conforming to a predetermined will of God. I have no idea how those two balance out, but they, but they do. Now, that brings us up against a problem because general sovereignty says God doesn't mess with free will and God doesn't involve himself with sin and evil, but yet I just showed you scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture that says that's, that doesn't quite line up with scripture. So we have to address these two things, free will and the problem of, of evil. I want to talk this morning about free will. Because I've had, by the way, I've already had several of you came up to me on the first day and say, oh yeah, but God doesn't mess with your free will. Because <laughs> you, already, you already told me that you think that. So we're going to talk a little bit about free will. Now I'm going to step out of the Bible a little bit. And I'm just going to show you, you your will is not near as free as you think it is. There, there's a poem, uh, it's called Invictus. And a uh, very famous poem. And uh, most of you... Or probably don't know all the lines, but you know the last two lines. This is how this poem goes. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade. 
and yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. That poem was written by William Ernest Henley, and William Ernest Henley believes in free will. Can you tell? I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. The problem with it is Mr. Henley doesn't really think it through, like most of us. We just assume this concept of free will because we all make choices every day, but we don't really think it through. So this morning, I'm going to make you think it through. Do we have a free will? Now, in order to answer that question, we have to define what do you mean by that. So what do we mean by free will? If you mean, if you came to me and said, do I have a free will? I would ask you these questions. What do you mean by free will? Do you mean that your choice is not coerced or forced in any way? Do you mean that you're doing exactly what you want to do? And do you mean that you're responsible for your choice? If that's what you mean by free will, does everybody think that's a good definition? You're not coerced, you're doing exactly what you want to do, and you're responsible for your choice. If that's your definition of free will, then yes, you have a free will, absolutely. In fact, all of historic Christianity would agree with you that you have a free will. The problem is we left out one little thing out of that list. And it's this one little thing that Mr. Henley didn't really think about. And to be honest with you, you and I don't really think about. Yet it's this one little thing that goes to the very heart of the matter. And that is this. Can a person choose against their nature? Can a person choose contrary to who they are? Now, let me explain what I mean by that. We all make choices every day, right? Do we, do we like chocolate or vanilla? Do we drive Fords or do we drive Chevys? Do we vacation in the mountains or we, would we prefer the, the beach? Are we a Seminole fan or are we a Gator fan? Are you, do you prefer King James or do you like the NIV? Are you a registered Democrat? Are you a registered... All of these are choices, right? We make them every single day. But if you're honest and you really think this through, you'll realize that your choices are molded by a multitude of factors that are entirely outside of your control. For example, I'm going to give you a list of things that affect your choices every day, and this list of things, you you didn't have any control over any of them. For example, you did not choose when you were born. I was talking to someone the other day about people that grew up in the Depression and how they view money. Have you ever met anybody that grew up in the Depression? They look at money completely different than we do, right? Because they grew up with nothing. And it affects the rest of their life, every choice they make about money, but yet they had no control over growing up in the Depression, did they? You don't choose where to be born. You didn't choose to be born in America. You didn't choose to be born in the North or the South. You didn't choose what region of the country... But do you know what region of the country you're brought up in can greatly affect uh, your choices? You didn't choose your parents. Were your parents loving? Were your parents divorced? Were your parents alcoholics? Were your parents abusive? Do you not think that affects who you are and your choices for the rest of your life? And yet you had no choice over that matter. You didn't choose your nationality. 
You didn't choose what religion you were born into. Are you telling me that if you had been born in India to Hindu parents or Pakistan to uh, Muslim parents or in Israel to Jewish parents that you would make the same choices today that you made? No. All of that affects who you are. I was in the airport this week flying back from Miami and uh, behind me was an Orthodox Jewish couple. They had a beautiful little baby. And I was thinking as I sat there in the line, because I'd been working on this, is that little child is going to grow up in an Orthodox Jewish family. You could take that child out of that baby carriage and give it to a, a, a Christian family, and they're going to be raised entirely differently. They're going to become a completely different person. And they had no control over any of those things. You didn't choose your gender, right? Men and women, look. we think differently, right? We have, we're different. I know the world tries to tell you that we're not different, but we are. You didn't choose that. You didn't choose your influences early in life. You didn't choose what foods you like. Think about it. You take a simple choice. I remember teaching this to the kids one time, and I was trying to explain it to them, and I put spinach and ice cream, and they all chose ice cream. Well, why? Because they, well, we like ice cream. Well, did you, did you choose to like ice cream, or was that just something, that was just something born in you? You don't even choose what foods you like. You didn't choose your temperament. You didn't choose your race. You didn't choose your genetics. You didn't choose your looks. You didn't choose your talents and abilities. You didn't choose your intellect. None of those things you chose. It reminds me of 1 Corinthians 4, 7. Who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? If you really think it through about who you are as a person, you were molded by things completely outside of your control. Completely outside of your control. See, all of those things determine who you are as a person, and who you are as a person determines the choices you make. You take an example, a white man raising a conservative Christian family in the South versus a black female raising a liberal Muslim family in the North. Right? You switch those around, they'll make entirely different choices. They had no control over any of those things. Let me give you a really rudimentary, simple example. Let's take your college team. Let's say you root for Seminoles or Gators or Alabama or Georgia or Miami or, or whoever you root for. Are you telling me that when you... Is that a free choice? Sure it is. Are you telling me that you took a spreadsheet and you took every college in the country and you entered them in the spreadsheet and you did pros and cons and you balanced them all out and you said, I choose that team? Is that how you did it? That ain't how I did it. Why are you a fan? I, can almost, I don't know the reason. I'm almost guaranteeing 90% of it is because you grew up in a family that was a fan. Or you had friends that were fans. Something, but I guarantee you nobody in this room ever sat down with a spreadsheet and balanced everything out and made a choice. You made a choice based on in factors entirely outside of your control. Are you with me? Now, was that choice coerced in any way? No. Did you, were you doing what you wanted to do? Yes. Are you responsible for that choice? Yes, but did you look at all the other options? No. Did you compare all the other schools? Well, then how could it really be a free choice? Are you with me? How can that really be a free choice? You see, to have a true free will, 
you should be able to look at all options equally. By the way, this is known is what's known as a libertarian free will, which nobody has. Nobody has a libertarian free will. Why? Because you bring all, every choice you make, you bring all your baggage. You bring all the baggage of your childhood and your genetics and your talents and your abilities and, and traumas and, and all these things come and they affect who you are and they affect your choices. The fact is, there's really, nobody has this thing called a libertarian free will. No, in fact, some philosophers say, and this is interesting, that if I put two choices in front of you, and you really had no reason to choose one or the other, you would never choose. How could you choose one or the other? Because there's nothing saying, well, I, are you with me? It's kind of an odd thing, but, but the point is, is that none of us have a truly free will. Now, we stepped out of the Bible for a minute and we just looked at the choices of life. Let's step back into the Bible. Because you can see that this idea or concept has much broader implications in the spiritual world. In fact, let's ask this question. Can a man or a woman freely choose God? Can you freely choose to go after God, to, to worship God? I choose God. Can a man or woman freely choose? do that. There was a guy in the 4th century, he was a Roman monk. His name was uh, Pelagius, and he was kind of a teacher. He went around uh, teaching and stuff, and, and he said, yes, absolutely, you don't need any help from God to choose God. And this was his reasoning. He said, if God tells you to do something, then he has to give you the ability to do it. In other words, moral responsibility equals moral ability. His reasoning was this. If God says don't lie, then he has to give you the ability not to lie. If God says choose you this day whom you will serve, then he has to give you the ability to choose this. Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense to the human mind. Well, that makes perfect sense. Here's the problem. Scripture teaches the exact opposite. That's not scriptural at all. Genesis 8.1, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Jeremiah 13.23, can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Neither can you do good who are accustomed to, commit, to doing evil. Jeremiah 17.9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? Isaiah 64.6, we are all like an unclean thing. All our righteousness like filthy rags. Romans 3, 10 through 11, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. Romans 7, 18, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. Romans 8, 7 through 9, the sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to, to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature, read that with me, cannot please God. He's talking about unbelievers. You, you, you cannot understand the things of God. You cannot please God. 1 Corinthians 2.14, The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he, read that with me, cannot understand them. You can't. 
Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. As for you, you were dead. This is a, this is a, 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 a description of an unbeliever. This is a description of you and I before we come to know Christ. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. You were gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. See, Scripture clearly teaches us that in and of themselves, people cannot seek God. People cannot choose God. It's not that our will is broken. It's not that it's deficient. It is completely dead in the sense that it it has no spiritual life or spiritual insight. You see, the Bible teaches us that because of Adam, every person born into this world, Romans 5.12, therefore, just as through one man, talking about Adam, sin entered the world and death through sin and death spread to all men because all sin. Because of Adam, every single one of his um, uh, children from Adam, from Cain and Abel, all the way down the line, all the way to you and I. Every person born into this world is enslaved to sin. Listen, do we have freedom of choice? Yes, in one sense we do. We make voluntary, uncoerced choices every day that we are responsible for. The problem is we are we are born with a will that's enslaved to sin. We're free to choose but we always choose according to our sinful nature. We are born with a nature that loves me. That's all about me. So every choice I make is going to be about me, not him. We will always choose according to our nature. So do we have a... Do we have a free... It's kind of like... are, Are you see where we're going with this? It's like you as a person. Are you free to choose? Yeah, but you're, 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 who you are determines your choices. As a, as a, as a believer slash unbeliever, am I free to choose? Yes, I am. But I'm going to choose according to my nature. And if I'm an unbeliever, I will always choose sin. I will always choose me. I will never choose God. By the way, John 6, 65, Jesus said this, This is why I told you, No one can come to me, that's the responsibility of man, unless it is granted him by the Father. That's the sovereignty of God. That's why Jesus said, I told you this, because you cannot choose me. You cannot follow me. You cannot make a decision to come to me out of your own free will unless God grants it to you, unless God allows you to do that. He's got to do something in your heart. He's got to do something to your will for you to even be able to make that choice. Jesus said, that's why I told you that. Now, let's stop there. Here's some objections to what I've been teaching. Okay, Because, I, by the way, I had all these same objections. When I first read all this, I'm like, wait a minute. That, that can't be. Here's the first one. If choices are predetermined by God, how can they be real choices? That was my first objection. Okay, I, I see what it says, but I just can't put these two together. If they're predetermined by God, then I'm just a puppet. I'm just a robot. I'm just, how can that be free? Howard Marshall in his book Predestination said this, Human freedom is the precondition of moral and intellectual responsibility. Now that sounds reasonable. In fact, to my mind, that makes perfect sense when I read that. I said, yes. That's exactly right. Way to go, right? But once again, that's an argument made from a human mind, not from the Bible. 
In fact, when I went to the Scripture to find a Scripture that backed up that argument, I could not find a single one. It's a human argument. It's human reasoning. It's not Scripture. See, on the other hand, Scripture repeatedly affirms that our choices are real, genuine choices, and they have real results that last for eternity. Deuteronomy 13, 19, This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and cursings. Now choose life. Choose life. John three sixteen. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes, come and believe. Come, take the water of life freely. Here it is. Come and drink. Choose. How can God be 100% in control and we be 100% accountable for our actions? I have no clue. I have no idea. It is a mystery. But just because we can't understand it doesn't mean we reject it. Let me tell you, I want to make sure we're clear on something. Understanding the ways of God is is something we should strive for. We should give everything that we have to it. But it is not our highest priority. It is not our highest priority. Our highest priority is to let this Bible validate truth. My mind doesn't validate truth. This Bible does. If you're a Christian, if you believe in God, and you believe this is the inerrant Word of God, then you believe what this Bible says, whether, it, whether you can figure it out or not. See, emotion and reason, not all the time, but sometimes have to be submitted to Scripture because Scripture is the final test of truth. The second objection that I had when I first read this, I said, wait a minute. Everybody knows God would not involve Himself with sin and evil. After all, God is holy. God is without sin. 1 John 1, 5, God is light and in Him is no darkness at, at all. He's perfect. He has nothing to do with any of that stuff. He would never cause us to sin. He would never involve Himself in our sins. He would have nothing to do with that. Now, the problem with that is how do you account for all those scriptures I showed you? I didn't just show you one, did I? I showed you scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture where God was predetermining actions that turned out to be sinful. The crucifixion, Joseph's brothers, Pharaoh, the Assyrians, David's census, uh, the list goes on and on and on. Listen, here's the only way I can explain it, and this is what the Bible teaches. God Himself never sins. We saw in Him is light and is no darkness at all. James says, when anyone is tempted, let them not say, I've been tempted by God. For God doesn't tempt anybody. He doesn't sin. That's not Him. So the Bible clearly teaches us that God Himself never sins, but He brings about His will through men and women who voluntarily and willingly do what God has ordained. That's what the Bible teaches. Now, what's the alternative to that? The alternatives are terrifying, to be quite honest with you. The, if you think it's through, the alternative is God has no control over evil. Do you want to live in a world like that? I know I don't. See, if you, if you don't think God, in, if you don't believe all those scriptures I've given you and you think there's no way God would involve himself with that, well then you have to believe there's evil in the universe that God did not intend, is not under his control, and does not fulfill his purposes. And let me tell you, I don't want to live in that world. 
And thank God I don't have to live in that world. As long as I know He's in control, I can deal with it. We're going to see next week, and I'm going to, i got one more week I need to talk about this, is that as long as He's in control, I can deal with that. Take Him out of the picture, and it's terrifying. Because you leave me either with fate or chance or the devil. I don't want to deal with any of them. I just want to answer to Him. And I believe Scripture teaches that. Your third objection might be this. Well, that's not fair. How can God predetermine things and then hold me accountable? That's not fair. I'm glad you say that. But by the way, that's actually one of the... And if you go back and read Romans 9, somebody made this exact thing. They said this. Paul said, One of you will say to me, Why does God still blame us for who resist His will? And this was Paul's answer. Who do you think you are? Who are you, O man, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to him who formed it, Why did you make me like this? That's Paul's answer. He's God. Now, I want to close. i got about 12 minutes. I want to close with just a few thoughts. Somebody walked up to me last week, and they said, Why has nobody ever showed me this before? Why has nobody ever showed me this before? And I, I, thought, I answered the question, but I thought about it some more this week. And I, I thought I should share this with all of you. If you open the Bible, what you see very clearly is a balance between the responsibility of man and the sovereignty of God. They're both taught. Everybody with me? I showed it to you over and over and over and over. I can't show it to you anymore. It's just right there. It's a very clear balance. But what has happened over the last 150 years ago or so in the church is we have shifted and we focused on one side of the coin. Think about how the books that are written, the songs that are sung, the CDs, the sermons, the teachings. We tend to focus on you. You choose. You make a decision. You walk worthy. You, 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 you. Are you with me? We, we just tend to focus on you, and that should be part of it. Don't get me wrong. But I think we've gone too far. By the way, the, the really far, once you focus too much on that, all of a sudden you'll hear people get up and say, you control your own destiny. Eventually they'll just forget about the sovereignty of God altogether. It all becomes about you can control. You can call things as not as though they are. You'll start hearing things like that. That's somebody that's gone way too far. But that's what's happened, I believe, in the church as a whole over the last 150 years is we've gone too far and focused too much on man's responsibility. And we've done that at the expense of the sovereignty of God. I think that's exactly what's happened. Now, I want you to understand something. By the way, Proverbs 18, I ran across this yesterday. I saw I would throw it in. The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. Right? You know how we can sit there with a view and everything's all lined up and nice and pretty and we got our theology and it all seems right until somebody steps up and says, well, hey, what about this side? And you're like, oh. And that starts messing you up. Right? Because you never saw the other side of the coin. But here's what I want you to understand. Do you understand we can also swing the pendulum too far the other way? We can make the exact same mistake with the sovereignty of God. You can sit here Sunday after Sunday after month after year after year and just sovereignty of God, sovereignty of God, sovereignty of God, and you forget about the responsibility of man. 
And that's not good either. The Bible has a, not, has a balance, and we need to, we need to strive to strike that, uh, that balance. So what I want to do before I finish today is I want to make... We've spent... This is our third week teaching on the sovereignty of God. And what will happen... By the way, if you want to know what happens with people that... If, you, if all they think and talk about is the sovereignty of God and they don't talk about the responsibility of man, you know how they go too far? They'll actually get to the point and they'll say, well, what does it matter? What does it matter? God predetermined everything. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter. It's going, it's going to happen. It doesn't really matter what I do. That person's going to get saved. It doesn't matter if I witness to them. If they're going to get saved, God's already predetermined it. See, that's a way. You went way too... Everybody with me? See, there's, there's mistakes on both sides of the pendulum. What we're trying to strike is a balance in Scripture. So what I want to do before I close today is I want to remind you, because we've spent three weeks on the sovereignty of God... What you do matters. Your actions matter. We cannot forget that in all of those cases, God is working through and using people to fulfill His purposes. So it would be incredibly wrong to think that our actions don't, don't matter. We, we don't want to go there. Let me tell you, don't take care of your body and watch what happens. You don't think actions matter? You, you smoke and drink and don't exercise and eat about four whoppers a day and just watch after a period of years what happens to your, to your body. It, it should be obvious to us that your decisions matter in this, in this life and in this world. I, I was thinking about, here's an example I used ten years ago. My kids were a lot, uh, a lot younger then. My son has schoolwork. That's got to be done, right? And he comes home from school, and, and it's right for me to say, okay, before you can go outside and play, you have to do your, your schoolwork. That's my responsibility as a parent. His responsibility as a, as a child is to do the work, right? Now listen, I believe in the sovereignty of God. I believe that his grade is in God's hands, and, and God may have already determined what that grade is going to be. But I don't know what it is, and neither does he. All I do know is that if he studies and does the work, he's going to pass. If he doesn't, he's going to fail. That's all I control. Are you with me? I don't, I, I can't focus on, if I focus to what's already been predetermined, doesn't really matter, just going out and play. No, that would be insane. Right? John Calvin said this, Now it is very clear what our duty is. If the Lord has committed to us the protection of our life, our duty is to protect it. If He offers helps to us, then we're to use them. If He warns us of dangers, then don't plunge headlong. But he, he, John Calvin had people say this kind of thing. But no danger will hurt us, they say, unless it is face, fatal, and in this case it can't be helped. See, what people were saying to him is that, well, God's done predetermined what's going to happen, I'm just going to go. I'm just going to go on this journey and God's already predetermined it. And, and John Calvin said, but wait a minute, what if the dangers are not fatal because the Lord has provided you with remedies for repulsing and overcoming them? If God's warned you don't go, don't go. How crazy would that be, right? Just as, again, we have responsibilities. There's, a great, there's some great scriptures on this, by the way. I only picked a couple. The first one is 1 Samuel 2.12. Joab was the head of, God's arm, of uh, David's army, King David's army. And they were getting ready for a big battle. And this is what he said. Be strong 
and let us fight bravely for our people and the cities of our God. That's the responsibility of man. The Lord will do what is good in his sight. That's the sovereignty of God. See, he had no idea how this battle was going to turn out. He had no idea what was going to happen. But his responsibility was to be strong, to be a man, to be courageous, to fight. And he said, I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do, and then God will take care of the rest. I think that's what we do in life. Listen, he tells us all the time, walk worthy, be encouraged, right? Admonish one another, discipline one another, love one another. Um, he's telling us all to do these things, do these things, do these things. Our responsibility is, guess what? To do those things. Go into all the world, preach the gospel, disciple, mentor, help, give. We're, we're told these are all choices we have. Do what he's told us to do. He takes care of the big plan. But he uses our actions to fulfill his purpose. Here's a great one. And I'll close with this one. Paul is on his... Uh, Paul's been arrested. And he's got a bunch of centurions, a Roman guard, that's put him on a ship and they're taking him to Rome. And they get, it's, a, it's a bad time of year. And Paul told them before they left, he said, don't, you don't want to do this. This is a bad time of year for us to be traveling. But they put him on the ship. They're going to take him to Rome. And they get out there and they get in a bad storm. And I mean, this storm lasts two weeks. I mean, it's terrible. And uh, people can't eat. They go for days without eating because they're just throwing up. I and mean, it's just a horrible situation. And one night, something happened. An angel of God appears to Paul. And this is what he said. Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. In other words, Paul, you have to make it to Rome. You're, don't worry, you're not going to die on this ship. You're going to make it to Rome. And God has graciously given you the lives of all those who sail with you. Now that's pretty good, isn't it? That's a prophecy. That's a prediction that this is what's going to happen. That's the sovereignty of God. I'm in control. Not only are you going to live, but I'm going to give you all the lives of the people. Everybody on this ship are going are to live. And I forget, 200 and memory serves 267, 280 people on that ship, something like that. He said, I'm going to give you all of them. So the next day, Paul goes out on the ship and he sees that there are men and they're, they're secretly letting down the lifeboats. They're secretly letting down the lifeboats. They're going to get in the lifeboats and leave. This is what Paul said. Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless those men stay with the ship, you won't be saved. Now, wait a minute, Paul. God just said last night, I'm going to give you all these men. And you walked out and said, unless they cut those boats loose, they won't be saved. You see what Paul's doing? He knows, that he knows the will of God, but yet he walks it out. Are, are you with me? He, he walks it out. He doesn't say, well, it doesn't really matter what those guys do. Right? He could have just said, you know what? God's already predetermined. He told me last night he's going to save them. Just they're going to do what they're going to do. And he just kept my mouth shut. He said, no, unless those guys stay on this boat, you cannot be saved. And the centurion, they went over there and they got them out of the boats and they cut the ropes and they let the boats out and they all stayed on the ship and they all ended up being saved several days later. See, Paul understood that God's providence and even his clear prediction of what would happen still involved the use of ordinary human beings to bring it about. And you and I would do well to imitate his example in our life. Next week, I'm going to do one more lesson on this. 
and it'll be a really good one. I've got a couple of real-life examples that I want to share with you about men and women, one man and one woman, who believed in the sovereignty of God, and it literally changed the direction of their life. So next week, we'll come back with our fourth installment in Sovereignty, Why It Matters.